Welcome to Cleft Talk, bringing you discussion on the topics that adults affected by cleft lip and or cleft palate have told us matter to them. Brought to you by the Cleft Lip and Palate Association as part of Cuppers Adult Services Programme. Cleft Talk is presented by Kate Flanagan and Nikki Davis and produced by Kenny Ardwin and proudly funded by the BTCT Foundation. Hello and welcome. My name is Nikki Davis and I'm the Adult Services Officer at Clapper. Together with my colleague Kate Flanagan, we are excited to bring you our new season of Cleft Talk. Welcome to the latest Cleft Talk panel discussion brought to you by Clapper's Adult Services Project, proudly supported by the VTCT Foundation. Cleft Talk is your opportunity to learn more about the topics that adults born with a cleft across the UK told us are important to them through the Adult Survey and Roadshow. We hope that you find these panel discussions both entertaining and informative. Remember that you can keep up with the Adult Services Project online, including watching this and other panel discussions again at www.clapper.com forward slash Adult Services Project. You also can join the conversation on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Clapper Adults. Today on the programme, we're discussing what life is like when you're born with a cleft palate that occurs without you also having a cleft lip. This is called an isolated cleft palate. Although there has become increased understanding and acceptance of visible difference, the differences associated with an isolated cleft palate are less understood and readily accepted by the general public. This can lead to people who are born with an isolated cleft palate to feel quite isolated. Today we hope to shed some light on the unique journey and experiences that people born with an isolated cleft palate face and to let you know that Clapper are here to support everyone, regardless of cleft type. It is our pleasure to welcome our panel guests, Iona Wallace and Jen Rundle to the podcast. Before we get into the discussion, can you please briefly tell us a bit about yourselves and your background? Um, hi, I'm Iona. Um, so I'm an adult born with just a cleft palate. Um, yeah, I'm 26 and almost at the end of my cleft journey, not quite yet. Um, but yeah, and I, I did a talk at the conference in September um, just because I thought that personally I felt that having a cleft palate on its own hasn't been quite as um, recognised as other forms of cleft. So, and I think just kind of off the back of that, it'd be quite good to explore it a bit further. So, thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> um, and I'm Jen Rundle, um, I'm a clinical psychologist. I work um, in cleft lip and palate uh, at St Thomas's Hospital for the South Thames Cleft Service and I've worked here for about three years and um, yeah, it's my pleasure to be on the cleft panel today. Yeah, oh, okay. thank, well, you thank you guys. <laughs> um, so can you start by telling us what an isolated cleft palate is, how it differs from cleft lip and palate and how common it is? Sure. I can try. <laughs> uh, I think Nikki sort of already described it really, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll say it again in a little bit more detail. So a cleft palate is a gap in the roof of the mouth. Um, and the palate is generally described as having two parts, the hard and the soft palate. 
So the soft palate is the soft squishy part at the back of the palate towards the throat and that moves in order to make speech sounds. And the hard palate is at the front. Um, you can feel it, the difference when you run your tongue at the top of the roof of your mouth uh, and the hard palate doesn't move. So an isolated cleft palate is a cleft of the palate in isolation. So the lip is not involved at all. Um, they can really vary hugely in size and in form, in length and in width. Um, so it's a really varied group. You can get anything from an incomplete cleft of the soft palate to a complete cleft of the hard and the soft palate. Um, and in terms of how common um, it is, um, I had to ask one of my speech and language therapists colleagues for this, but they said that they account for nearly half of all clefts. So they are actually are the most common type of cleft. So mm. they're common. Mm. Okay. Um, and what are some of the common challenges that are associated with cleft palate that can persist into adulthood? Um, okay. There, there are a few that I've mentioned and there may be some that I don't mention. And if there are, um, Iona, please do jump in. Um, so Obviously, um, the sort of one that we're talking about the most today is, is the effect it has on speech. So depending on the size and the shape and the location of the cleft, it can affect speech in different ways. People with a cleft palate can have problems with either um, nasality, which is air escaping down the nose so that they sound nasal. And that's due to a problem with the structure, um, the palate being too short to, to reach the back of the throat. Uh, and even after having lots of surgeries in childhood, this problem can still persist into adulthood. Uh, and the other sort of common speech difficulty is, is a problem with articulation, so making specific speech sounds. Um, and even having had speech therapy as children, um, these problems can still persist into adulthood, or it might be speech therapy sessions were missed as, as a child or not offered. So that's kind of one of the main challenges. Um, another common challenge can be dealing with nasal regurgitation, which is food and drink that comes down the nose. And that can happen for a, for a variety of reasons. One is having a fistula, which is a, a hole in the palate where it's been closed, but it's sort of stretched open slightly after time. Or it could be something habitual, or it could be a mechanical problem. Um, and obviously that can be uh, embarrassing for, for adults in social situations or really just feel uncomfortable. Um, having a cleft palate can also affect the growth of the mid face and jaw, so that can create problems with uh, functional problems um, related to, to one's bite or aesthetic problems related to the teeth and jaw. And another challenge um, which we often um, see with patients with uh, a cleft palate is the kind of side effects of having had speech surgery as a child. Um, so adults can come back to us saying that because of the nature of their anatomy as a result of the surgeries, they've got uh, these additional problems that um, have kind of developed as they've got older. So that can be, for example, having lots of secretions that kind of collect at the back of the throat, um, which can obviously be really irritating and uncomfortable, or it can cause snoring <coughs> because of the airway being more, we're being smaller, um, or even sleep apnea. And so those are obviously quite annoying um, and have a high impact on people's lives. Mm. Um, so as well as those things, um, mm -hmm. what are some of the sort of impacts that speech differences have 
on people's lives, mm -hmm. like linked to like confidence and self-perception. Mm -hmm. um, so, there's a common problem is that unlike with um, those that have a visible difference because of a, a cleft lip, and um, that can be more kind of obvious to explain to others. Um, for someone that's got uh, an isolated cleft palate, it, it can be not as obvious for other people to understand. Um, so it can be harder to explain to people or it might be misperceived or misunderstood um, by others. So for example, um, some patients that have, a, have speech difficulties as a result of a cleft palate might be assumed to have um, other problems like a lowered intellectual ability, for example, or deafness, um, which can be difficult to navigate as an adult. Um, and obviously not being able to be understood clearly by other people is, is a really a big problem and can affect lots of areas of life. So I've, I've made a little list of some of the things that it could, uh, the ways it can affect life. Um, so it can create social problems, so social anxiety, which we'll talk a bit more about later, um, maybe lead to withdrawal or, or isolation, it might lead to um, difficulties with mood, so feeling low in mood or uh, feeling angry or frustrated, very understandably, uh, lower motivation, um, perhaps low self-esteem or having a negative self-perception, uh, it might lead to lower school attainment uh, or underachievement um, or um, problems with bullying or teasing or being discriminated against in the workplace. Um, and uh, another sort of common difficulty that we see is um, patients that want to have or could potentially have further surgery um, to change their speech, there might be another option um, but they might feel very anxious about that understandably because they don't want anything to further um, influence it in a negative way. Um, and as psychologists, um, it, it's quite um, a, a more complex issue uh, in, in some ways to deal with um, than particularly around bullying and teasing, um, which is something that we we'd speak about a lot with young people and with adults. Um, because obviously for those that have a visible difference but no significant speech difficulties, um, they can perhaps practice having an explanation or a script to tell other people why they look different. Um, but for those with speech difficulties, obviously by the nature of that problem itself, it can be harder to actually give that explanation to be understood. Um, so yeah, so that, that, that's an extra kind of layer, I suppose, mm -hmm. of challenge. Um, and one thing, I was speaking to one of my speech therapy colleagues before this just to get a few of her insights and she said that one thing she d often ends up doing is giving people cards so that they can show others um, to be able to explain why, why they sound different, why they sound the way they do, um, because they, they find it hard to be understood if they actually try and explain it themselves.
kind of com- yeah. uh, kind of communicating with somebody. So yeah. it just kind of highlights that actually it is a huge, a, a kind of huge part in why people's lives are affected by it. So, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Oh well, yeah. No, that was really really interesting. Thank you both. Um, yeah, actually leads on really nicely to um, the next question, which I, I think you guys have answered. Um, but I'll say it anyway. If there's anything else you want to um, add, then please do. Um, so one of the challenges um, with isolated cleft palate is that because it is less visible, um, if for example you sound different but don't look different, people may show less understanding towards you. How do you manage discrimination from others related to your speech? I personally have found it quite difficult mm-hmm. and actually I still do. I'm not going to lie and say I've, I've mastered it. Mm-hmm. I Oh, then when I come into contact with somebody you know, and in my speech, I completely bottle up. Um, and I just because we're kind of left, well, I say there's less people in the commu- kind of cleft community with a cleft, with an isolated cleft palate. I've just been shown that's a lot of rubbish because 50% of people mm-hmm. apparently in mm-hmm. so I didn't actually know that. Um, but I just kind of feel that kind of within the cleft community, um, I, I don't think that number is represented. Mm-hmm. Um, so people that have a cle- isolated cleft palate, there's less people to share experiences with, there's less people to kind of. Um, share that understanding with and share mm. your kind of common concerns. Um, yeah, and that can that can be quite lonely. Yeah. And it kind of yeah, and I find it quite difficult to kind of deal to, to deal with that and kind of validate my own kind of feelings on that. Mm. And I say, how do I manage it? Still working on that one. <laughs> um, but I do kind of try where I can to kind of raise the awareness of mm. it. Yeah. And I f- find it easier to do it in this way and kind of yeah. rather than when somebody approaches me directly mm. and asks me not that they do often but if that kind of conversation comes up that slightly terrifies me but I'd rather kind of do it in my own terms mm. that makes sense. I mean I can't just lecture to you know everybody that comes near me to explain it so yeah. I am still working on it um, but basically just to try and raise awareness and it's not just a quick fix mm. when you have a baby it's not just a hole in your mouth and then suddenly one operation later it's closed and you're like there's no more problems mm. like we've heard that there's lots of kind of ongoing issues so mm. it's basically just trying to educate people and yeah. I kind of hope that Definitely. that works. Yeah, because yeah. no, then they'll get a better understanding as well of it. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. Um, okay, so this, my next question is for you, Jen. Yeah. Um, so a number of people reported in the Adults Whole of Life survey that they'd been denied opportunities to progress in their work because it felt that they perhaps wouldn't be as good as public speaking as others. This is understandably incredibly frustrating. How would you recommend managing the situation in the workplace? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think this is this is a um, it's actually quite a complex question because mm. um, I think it depends on a number of of different variables, if you like. Um, so I think how you deal with it would be very much on a case by case basis. I mean, if somebody feels they've been denied or excluded from opportunities that others had because of their speech, then that amounts to workplace discrimination. Um, frankly. Um, so, you know, that needs to be taken up. That's quite serious. It needs to be taken up with a manager or supervisor or, mm. or employer. Um, there's a legal framework to support that, the Equality Act. And I think there's actually some quite good advice about this on the Clapper website if you look at the adult section. Um, so yeah, the first port of call would really be to have a very honest conversation about mm, yeah. um, your concerns. If you can't feel like you can't verbalize it, maybe write a letter, write some notes, um, communicate it 
um, to your employer and if you don't feel that they are taking action or give you the reassurance or the advice that you think is good enough then take it up with HR. Another but another there could be another um, side to to this question which might be if somebody is being given the opportunities but actually just feels very anxious about public speaking mm. which is, is very understandable um, then that's obviously where psychologists could help with the anxiety side of things. There are loads of really very effective therapeutic techniques that we could use um, which psychologists can use to help somebody that's got social anxiety. Um, social anxiety is, is literally the name for, for feeling anxious in a social situation. Um, a lot of people feel anxious public speaking, mm -hmm. it's really common. Um, a really effective uh, sort of therapeutic model that, that a lot of psychologists use for this is, is a CBT model, so a cognitive behavioural therapy model. Um, so that would involve using sort of behavioural and cognitive techniques. You might create what's called a graded exposure hierarchy, so you would create uh, a stepped hierarchy of anxiety-provoking situations and encourage somebody to move through them starting with what they think of as the easiest thing up to the hardest thing. So the hardest thing at the top of that might be, for example, doing a presentation in front mm -hmm. of people, doing going to an interview, doing a talk. Um, so the psychologist would help the person to move through those stages with lots of coping strategies, teach them lots of coping strategies. Um, so that can there could, there's a huge number of different strategies, but it could, which you would work on, uh, you know, depending on what somebody finds useful. So it might be using relaxation, shifting your focus of attention, using some positive self-talk, re reducing safety behaviours, problem solving, visualisation. There's there's lots of different things that you mm. could do. And another thing to mention is, of course, that it is possible that there might be a mechanical. Uh, issue related to having a cleft that might benefit from treatment so it is worth bearing that in mind mm. um, that uh, you know there might be a surgical or a non-surgical or, or a, a speech and language therapy uh, an option for speech and language therapy to help um, so in that case it would be important to get in touch with the with the local cleft team. Mm. I always go bright red in those situations, <laughs> so it's like any public speaking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though I try to relax myself, I just always seem to yeah, do so it. Many, so many people do. Yeah. Or feel you're going red, even though yeah. you're not actually going red, you and think then you, you are do. going red. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you for that. Um, so this, this uh, next question is for you, Iona. Um, so some people reported in the survey that they felt like they were misrepresenting themselves by not choosing to disclose that they'd been born with a cleft palate, particularly when it came to dating. What advice would you give to people in that scenario? Yeah, so that's a tough one if you're right when at the right time and yeah. I kind of thought the same. Yeah. Um, I didn't really engage in dating um, <laughs> kind of when everybody else was. Um, for kind of multiple reasons, but kind of bullying and things completely, mm. completely um, put me off. Um, and my speech was a huge kind of impact on that and kind of what stopped me. Mm. Um, as I got a bit older and kind of after my last um, speech surgery, I kind of lots of things changed. I, I moved, um, I moved into London and um, I kind of entered the dating scene um, and uh, did the old thing of going on Tinder. Um, yeah, so there were a few kind of, I had 
I sh- I, it's a joke between my friends and I that I should have a, um, I should write a diary of my own dating disasters. But one <laughs> being that, um, yes, I went on a date and regurgitated a piece of steak out my nose. Um, and yeah, I just had to like lie and put it into a handkerchief in my bag and deal with it later. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, when I but when I met James, um, my boyfriend, we as I say, we met on Tinder. So our first date. That was the first time he had heard me speak, mm. and I didn't. I didn't say anything. I did think before that I think, oh, should I? Mm. Mm. And I did kind of. It did play on my mind, not massively, but it did. Mm. Um, but I chose not to say anything. And you know, I thought if he, he thinks something, he thinks something. If he's got something to say about it, well, he's not like I, yeah. I just don't want to pursue it. Mm. But I, um, he didn't say anything. And in actual fact, we launched into like hours of chatting the hind legs off a donkey and I didn't even second guess my speech the kind of entire time which is a massive kind of achievement for me as well um, and I think he was actually more baffled by my Scottish accent than anything else. <laughs> um, but when I was actually thinking about the podcast I kind of thought this was an issue that I think probably would come up and I did actually um, I asked James kind of what his um, what he thought about mm. it and when we were on the first date I said and I'd be honest um, and he said that yes he he said the first couple of dates he knew something was a bit was, was, was different mm. but did but admittedly did admit that he said he thought it was just my accent and um, <laughs> he's a posh London boy so, <laughs> um, but no it was, he then kind of clicked on that it wasn't an actual fact he did assume it was a cliff pilot but I had never said anything and he hadn't said anything to me he never treated me any differently and um, he just um, wanted me to tell him if and when I was ready um, and yeah so my speech has never been a kind of big deal in my life mm. um, yes I've had like bullying and things and I've had surgeries throughout kind of my childhood and adulthood um, but my parents never really treated me any differently to my sister um, and I think that very much rubbed off on kind of what I how I felt about disclosing having a cleft palate mm. to, um, to him I kind of just said it very casually didn't make a deal out of it because it never had been a deal. Yeah. I just, yeah. I think, I, I can't, I, do you know what? I can't even remember when I told him, but I know it was just like a passing comment, mm. and they probably like carried on, like, know, like drinking tea or something like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so my kind of advice would yeah. be um, that. Yes, it's a it's a tricky one, but don't to get don't get too hung up on it. Mm. Um, when you need to tell somebody, and actually you don't need to tell somebody if you don't want to. That's completely your business. Mm. You don't you shouldn't feel as if you're expecting to tell anybody. It's mm. kind of it. um, and yeah, they might notice on the first date that your speech sounds different, but that's not a bad thing. Everyone's like got something, and you, mm. yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I just say don't make a big deal out of it and kind of keep it casual and informal. And actually, the chances are they'll probably be pretty relaxed about it as well. And just, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. I think people get so worked out, don't they? Of like things that it all just goes through in your head, yeah. and then and actually, yeah. sometimes it's actually not yeah. that bad. And then I think once you see it once, that kind of it, and then yeah. you and um, yeah. it's never been, it's never really been anything in our relationship. It's not anything that we, apart from when he mm. knows that when we go out, when I want a glass of rosé, he has to ask because they never understand me. Mm. And I just get really frustrated at the table <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> and so even within the cleft community, it perhaps can feel as though if you were born with an isolated cleft palate that in some way you don't belong. Of course that is not how Clapper or the NHS cleft teams view it. You are just as welcome here as anybody else, but we understand that people can feel this way. Iona, you've described this before as having a sense of imposter syndrome. Can you describe how you felt and what made you and what made you feel that way? Yeah, something that as I said at the beginning, mm. um, that's kind of something that I have felt kind of um, quite a lot, and I would be lying if I said I don't still do. No, it's kind of still part of it. Um, but okay, up and up until recently, both um, there had been like a kind of much more of a focus on when cleft is being seen as a visible difference, mm. um, and ev like even in research, that's massively kind of what's mm -hmm. kind of portrayed mm -hmm. and I'm not surprised people are confused like when you look at the media when yeah. anything when anything about a cleft seems to be mentioned cleft lip and cleft palate it all just gets intertwined mm -hmm. so someone's yeah. got a cleft palate they'll just get the media can say the person got a cleft lip or mm -hmm. like, no, yeah. no, it's no, no wonder that people get kind of everything a bit kind of muddled up but um yeah so and I kind of that kind of I felt that way because um and I say when you're at kind of cleft events and things, 90% of the people in the room either have a cleft lip and cleft lip and palate and mm. um, there's not many people who have um, a cleft palate isolated mm. so that and you, can, uh, you can't relate always to these people mm. and because you don't look different, somebody, somebody thought to a member of staff once I was like, yeah, no, what am I doing here to? <laughs> um, so that can be quite frustrating and that can be quite uncomfortable because mm. you almost mm. feel as if you don't belong there mm. and it's, yeah, that's um, quite hard. Mm. Um, and I have been guilty of um, making my speech worse on them mm. things like that to try and make people get crystal clear that uh, I'm like, yeah, guys, I actually belong here, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's slightly ridiculous, but hey-ho. Um, and actually, after, before I had jaw surgery, my cleft um, palate had impacted um, on my jaw growth and I had an underbite, as I'm sure many people um, also have or had. And that that made me look different. Mm. And that, that I felt more part of the gang when I looked a bit different. And, uh, and then I suddenly mm. got my jaw surgery and I was like, mm, okay, I don't fit in here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, yeah, that sense of imposter syndrome is just like that I just, you don't feel as if you belong in the situation mm. um, and but I would just say that kind of I want to the reason why I kind of discussing it and kind of want to raise a bit of awareness about it because I don't want anybody else mm. to feel the same way that yeah. um, you know, I feel or if they are feeling that way make, like, to make them realise that their feelings are validated and they are very much part mm. of mm. part of the community and yeah yeah definitely yeah. So I know you already mentioned that a lot of people might sort of use cleft lip and cleft palate interchangeably. Um, so what would you say are the most misunderstood challenges and experiences that come with being born with an isolated cleft palate? Um, like what would you like the rest of the cleft community and the general public to have more awareness and understanding of? Yeah, so as I said earlier, a lot of people have a conception, a perception mm. of that having a cleft palate, yes it's a hole in your mouth but when you're a baby like did you close it and like that's fine, um, but that's not the case. Um, I think people don't appreciate that 
it's from when you were a baby right up until what I'm 26 and still yeah. um, still got um, some some speech um, surgery ahead of me so it's very much from childhood all the way through um, so that's kind of one of the main misconceptions people don't realise that you're still having um, ongoing treatment and um, things even in adulthood and it's not just although speech is a huge part of it it's certainly not just your speech that's affected um, eating and drinking is problematic um, as I say I've already given you my my steak scenario um, <laughs> but again until um, until I had my last um, speech surgery I would buy a £4 Starbucks and load about £2.50 of it onto my lap so yeah um, again it's huge it's so much better now but I still get um, situations where I you know, leak from my nose. Mm. Um, breathing can be affected um, as well as other mm. problems with your ears and your nose, mm. um, which are all, and your jaw and things, which mm. is all completely um, related. And I don't think people um, appreciate quite mm. how complicated yeah. everything in your mouth actually is. Mm. Um, and yeah, and even though when you have surgeries, yes, it makes things better, but it doesn't give you doesn't give you that normal kind of person's mouth. Mm -hmm. So um, yes, my speech is better, but actually everything kind of on the inside, the anatomy side of things, it's not just, there's still going to be problems because it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. And kind of lastly, um, something that for me um, has, in the past couple of years, I've thought a bit more, that kind of genetic element of it. Mm -hmm. um, for example, my cleft syndromic, is that, is that the word? Um, so there, um, for me, there's a 50-50% chance of me passing it on to my children in each pregnancy. So that kind of, as I'm getting a bit older, I do think about that. And I don't think people realise that that's like another thing to think about. Mm. And um, yeah, and kind of the last thing to say is that I think it's really important for people um, not to just assume what people's issues are. Yeah, you might not be able to see someone's, like you might not be able to, you can't see inside someone's mouth. Oh, unless you weren't looking, but um, <laughs> so just because you don't think someone's kind of got a problem, you shouldn't assume that they that mm. they that they're managing their cleft um, physically or mentally. And mm. um, everyone kind of has their own struggles. Some mm. people um, have have had problems and have moved on. Mm. Other people haven't really had any problems, and that's great. And other people are kind of still going through, mm. kind of working through that. So yeah, to so just for people not to assume, mm. um, yeah, anything. definitely. Thank you. Um, so Jen, um, can you please give us a brief overview of the services that are available through the cleft team mm -hmm. that someone with an isolated cleft palate may not have been aware are available to them? Mm -hmm. So um, obviously all patients that have been born with a cleft, no matter what age, no matter what past treatment you've had, are all entitled to treatment from their local cleft team on the NHS in the UK. Um, each cleft team is made up of different sort of cleft specialities or disciplines. Um, usually they uh, include surgeons, speech therapists, dentists, orthodontists, psychologists, nurses, and um, links with geneticists and audiologists. The exact makeup will vary a little bit depending on location, but most of them have, you, you will have access to every, every one of those disciplines. Um, and again, slightly depends, I think, on where you are in the country, but generally once you have a referral, you'll be invited to an NDT 
appointments. So that's a multidisciplinary team appointment and you get the opportunity to meet and speak to every single, a member of every single discipline all together who will um, discuss your, your particular needs and then create a treatment plan. So that can be really variable depending on what your needs are. Um, it might be surgical options to help with speech. It might be sessions with a psychologist. It might be some speech and language therapy sessions. It might be some orthodontic treatment to help with your bite or surgical treatment to help with your bite or a combination of all of the above. Um, so I think hopefully that covers all of the things that are available. Mm -hmm. So finally, yeah. if through listening to this, people feel that they would like to discuss anything further with a member of the NHS CLEF team, mm -hmm. how can they be seen by yourselves or your colleagues around the UK? So um, you can be referred through your GP or your dentist, or uh, if you get stuck, um, just try and look up who your local centre is and give them a call just to find out how to get seen. Um, I think the best way of finding out what your local team is is probably through the Clapper website. I don't know what you guys think. <coughs> yeah. um, but that seems to be generally the most up-to-date source of information mm -hmm. on all things cleft. Um, if you want to see a psychologist in particular to talk about um, your thoughts and feelings around treatment or just kind of unsure about what's available then you can just call up and ask to be put through there will be a psychologist to talk to in every cleft team so you can just call the cleft team ask to be put through or ask their email address okay. you'll be able to get hold of us great thank you so i think that might be all we have time for unless there's something else that you want to add no? Okay, Thank great. You. So that is all we've got time for then. Um, so we hope that you've found this discussion to be useful in helping you realise that you're not alone if you were born with an isolated cleft palate and for other people to understand what life is like with an isolated cleft palate. We'd like to remind everybody that Clapper is the community for all those affected by cleft of any type, including isolated cleft palate, isolated cleft lip, as well as cleft lip and palate. Everybody is welcome here. Remember that you can access more information and listen again to this and other panel discussions on our website at www.clapper.com forward slash adult services project. If this discussion has made you wish to seek support, please contact your GP and request a referral to the cleft team. You will find the details of your local cleft team on our website or in your leavers pack if you've received one of those when leaving the cleft team. Alternatively, if you're already being seen by your cleft team, feel free to talk with them about any of the content of this panel discussion if you'd like more information. We would like to thank our panellists Iona Wallace and Jen Rundle for joining us for today's discussion, as well as a big thank you to you for joining us and tuning in. Make sure to join Nikki and myself again next month when we'll be helping you to find a general dentist and talking about all the things you need to know when accessing general dental care. It's a podcast you want to sink your teeth into, so don't miss it. <laughs> Until then, take care. Bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Cleft Talk, brought to you by Clapper and proudly supported by the VTCT Foundation. We want to know what you thought of the programme so that we can make the next run even better. If you found this interesting, please make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud or your favourite podcast player. Our next podcast is coming at the beginning of next month. Check out www.clapper.com forward slash cleftalk to find out what we'll be talking about next. And we want your questions to take to the panel. Visit our panel discussion page on our website to submit your questions. 
You can also check out everything we're up to with the Adult Services Project, including a list of our upcoming programmes and events at www.clapper.com forward slash adult services project. You also can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We look forward to talking to you again soon.